Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about profit-sharing strategies with the help of special guests, Sean McCadden of Remodel My Business, Inc. in Brookline, New Hampshire. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host, Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey, everyone. Tim Fowler here, and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Keep those ideas coming in. In fact, uh, on today's show, we're going to be uh, looking at one that came in recently and I deliberately sent the guest a, uh, a copy of the question and said, hey, can we talk about this while we're on? And he said, sure, no problem. So the lead carpenter system was started many years ago. And one of the major sort of tenets of the system was share the money, basically. Uh, the idea of giving out part of the profits uh, to your team members was a big part of the lead carpenter system as it was rolled out many years ago. And so mostly this was based on a profit sharing idea. In other words, if the mechanics, if the technicians in the field could bring the job in under the budget, create profit, then uh, the owner of a company would share that with them. Now, early days of speaking at JLC Live and the remodeling show, a lot of what I talked about was the lead carpenter system. And almost always, there'd be a little question and answer session towards the end of the program. And almost always, there'd be somebody that would raise their hand and say, what is a good bonus system? And so I would talk about that a little bit. And then almost always somebody would say something like, well, I tried that already and it doesn't work. <laughs> and so it was almost a no-win situation. People wanted to know uh, what would work to motivate people, but didn't really think of it as a bonus-type structure. So I've been thinking about a lot. I think I've come up with some good ideas. I know our guest today has been working with a lot of companies and given it a lot of thought. And so uh, I'm excited to have him on. Now, one of the things that I really want to emphasize is that I, I believe we know that money is not the only motivator for people. And so if you're thinking that you're going to get a fix it here for turning a lackadaisical, unmotivated team into the world's most prolific producers, uh, that's not going to happen. So don't even get the idea that we're going to change your business by motivating, every, motivating everybody by uh, sharing the profits. I personally feel like it's a great way to say thank you, which I think is a great way to motivate people. But I think it's also a great way to add income to other people without adding to your hourly burden. And, and that's a great thing for a business as well. So I'd like to just get started here, Steve. Yeah, let's do it. So Sean McCadden, president of Remodel My Business, Inc. in Brookline, New Hampshire, is one of the most prominent figures in the remodeling industry. He obtained his builder's license by age 18, founded, operated, and sold a successful employee-managed design build firm, 
co-founded the Residential Design Build Institute, and went on to become a director of education for a major national bath and kitchen remodeling franchise company. Today, he speaks, speaks frequently at industry conferences and trade events. As an award-winning columnist, he contributes to many industry publications, blogs, and writes a monthly co- column for Qualified Remodeler Magazine. You can visit him at www.seanmcadden.com. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks. Thanks for having me back again, guys. Hey, it's going to be fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to jump right into it here. Uh, let's just talk. What do you, what's your vision of profit sharing? What, what is it? I mean, how would you define that uh, for our audience? Well, maybe a little different than what you just set up uh, there, Tim, in your yep. uh, introduction. Uh, not to say that what you uh, suggested is wrong. Perhaps uh, I'm just looking at it a little different, I guess. Yep. As they say, different ways to skin the cat. So I look at it as we don't have to beat the budget to have profit sharing. That's like beating the that's like sharing the extra money. Right. To me, profit sharing is part of the profit is uh, decided and engineered. So there's enough in there to not only give the owner what they're looking for for the risk of being in business, but the share has to be part of that budgeted profit amount. So the money is there for the team, assuming that the team though actually helps us hit our gross profit margin. Because if we hit the gross profit margin, then the money is there to share. That's that's the way that I look at it. I kind of think of it as if, if the motivation is to beat the budget, then are we really estimating correctly then? <laughs> right, right. Right. And then how what is the validity of our job costing if the motivation is always to beat the budget instead of to meet the budget? Yeah, I think that's the way it all started. But I think like many things in our industry, uh, we've matured quite a bit. So why would a remodeling business owner or a building business, any business owner actually consider sharing the profit? I mean, I've heard so many people go like, look, I pay these people really, really well. Why do I have to share profit with them? Or maybe better question is why should I share some profit with them? Yeah. Well, we haven't got enough time, Kim. <laughs> right. But a couple of them that I think, that, you know, for, for purposes of uh, today's discussion, I think first off is that uh, it motivates the team. If you do it as a team profit sharing plan instead of each individual lead carpenter, I think it motivates the team to help each other and make sure the entire uh, gross profit plan is, meet, is met, not just the per job, right? So, you know, Joe the lead carpenter brings his jobs in on on budget, but, you know, Fred and Bill aren't. So the right. idea is let's help, let's head, help Fred and Bill. So all the jobs are coming in and meeting the budget. And then all the profit sharing money can be there to split with the team. I also suggest that uh, the right profit sharing system, right? So as you and I know, and, and you and I have done, uh, we've reinvented the wheel as we figured <laughs> all this out, right? Right. But there's no sense in reinventing the wheel today because a lot of this stuff has already been thought out by people, you know, ahead of us even, that right. we can share it. So the way I look at it, they are engineered correctly. Here's the simple way for me to summarize it. With the right profit sharing, it's not just two eyeballs watching and protecting the profit, that being the owner. It's all the eyeballs on the team are now watching the profit and making sure that it's going to be there because they have a vested interest. Yeah, I've often said to, to business owners and conference attendees, the more people you have watching the budget, the greater the opportunity to actually succeed at the budget. 
And I, I, this is a, an argument I've been making for years about sharing the budget with people, like sharing it with your field staff versus just keeping it close to your chest. Because if they can help you, let them help you. I think that's a, a, a great observation. Very, very uh, intricate part, say, of a profit sharing plan. So two things I'd like to uh, just stress on that, Tim, is one, there actually has to be a sensible financial system with accurate estimating and understanding, right. you know, what the real labor burden rate is. It all can't just be a guess. Right. And then there has to also be a way to measure what's happening in the same way it was estimated. We can't right. estimate with Apple's job cost with kumquats and then try to figure out how to share the profit. <laughs> share, share the bananas. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so in, in your mind, Sean, what's the difference between profit sharing and bonuses? Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I think bonuses typically don't have a plan behind them. Okay. Right. And so that doesn't make them bad. Right. You can still right. you know, motivate people with bonuses. I think uh, I think it was Paul Eldrincamp that yep. said uh, it's bonus by whimsy. You yep. have to decide whether you want to do it and if you're doing it. Yeah. I think the other problem with bonuses is particularly, you know, people looking for Christmas bonuses. They just assume they're going to get them like it's a rite of passage. Right. right. So whether the business is making money or not, the employees are upset if they don't get their Christmas bonus because they've already at least emotionally spent it before they get it. The way I look at it, profit sharing as a measurable item is, depending on how you set up the plan, we can all know how much profit we are expecting to create and share, and then we can all measure against it. And if it's not happening, well, we figure out what's going wrong, so we fix it. And if it's happening, we figure out why it's happening so we can repeat it. Yeah, I think think one of the big mistakes, and I don't know if you've seen this or not, but that year-end bonus – is given out regardless of whether we hit our profit margin or not. And everybody sort of assumes that everything is good because I got a $500 check or a thousand dollar check. Have you seen, have you seen that? And, and in my mind, that's like the worst thing you can do because then everybody lets their guard down because, Hey, things are good. Yep. No, amen. I'm with that. So that's an important thing to consider because people do want and, maybe need that money, appreciate that money at the holidays. So any profit sharing plan, regardless of how you measure it, better include a chunk of money, if assuming it's been earned, at the holidays. Okay. Right? One of the things to consider about a profit sharing plan is we may need to end the year and then audit our books right, right. before we know exactly how much profit sharing can be shared. Uh, I think we can know that there's profit sharing been earned and give a, a significant portion of it prior to the um, uh, first of the year. So, you know, again, it serves that purpose of helping people out at the holidays. Cool. So what are some uh, profit sharing strategies or do you have one that you can explain in an audio way that that we can understand that that maybe people can take and and add a little uh, embellishments for themselves, but really you've seen work? That's a possibility, Tim. Um, but here's what I would suggest is, right, you, the, the people that are listening have got to be careful. If they are reinventing the wheel of how to do a profit sharing plan, all these little things that they might want to insert might okay. defeat the plan. Okay. Right? That's what I'm saying. Rather than reinvent the wheel, why not use the best practices that have already been tested out there and we know work? Okay. So what I would suggest is the profit sharing dollars should be considered an overhead expense that's going to be paid for through the markup 
Therefore, if the team hits the required gross profit margin that the company has established, we know the money is going to be there at least for each job as it's produced. The other piece of a profit sharing is it's not just hitting the margin. You've got to hit the gross profit dollar goals. Right. If we have a 40 margin on a million, but we only hit 800,000, at a 40 margin, we're still $80,000 short of covering our gross profit requirement. So you've got to look at both of those pieces. And again, to your point, Tim, the field staff has to understand how this game works so they can <laughs> properly participate in it and earn lots of money because they know how it works. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Again, you and I work with companies all the time that are trying to solve these problems. And my experience has been when you lay the information out to a field crew, uh, they often respond very, very positively, even when GP has to be 45%, they don't go like, oh my goodness, how rich is the contractor? When they understand it, it, it makes sense. And when it's presented to them in a way that, that, that they can understand. So is that your experience as well? It is, yeah. So for the people listening in, Tim, to, to introduce that now in the middle of already being doing business and train your staff on how this all works, that is going to be quite a challenge to do. Yeah. I think it's worth it, but it's a challenge. Yeah. Once you've accomplished it, it becomes so much easier because the idea is the new people who come in that, that really just don't know anything yet, right? They're just novices, is to teach them from the beginning, not like yeah. let them become carpenters at 40 years old thinking <laughs> that the boss charges 50 bucks for me but only pays 25, so he's making 25 an hour. Right. Not even realizing that's the break even burden labor rate before market. Right. 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 And then, of course, if we don't train our employees, what they do is they become competition. Right. Yeah, definitely. So, Sean, um, would you you mentioned the sensible financial system having that in place? Uh, is, are there other things that you feel? You know, you don't want to put a, a huge engine in a smart car, right? You know, so you don't want to introduce this if, you know, other things aren't in line. Are there other things that you could look at? Because um, oftentimes I've seen people want to do a profit sharing because other things aren't working and they think this is going to correct that issue. So what are some things that you think should definitely be in place and running properly before we can even kind of think about this? You want to have profits, A, to start. Um, but are there other things? Yeah. So, so what I recommend to, to the clients that I work with is to create without telling your employees, create a profit sharing plan strategy and then test it without them even knowing it's happening. Right. Well, it's not happening yet. Right. But without them even knowing, it, test it and make sure it's actually going to work yeah. before you introduce it to your team. The worst thing that you could do is introduce this great profit sharing uh, plan to your team, have it fail, and then they're all disappointed, and then they all leave, right? The, the idea yeah. would be confirm it works before you expose it to your team, and then when you know it works, you already know how it works, so now you can educate your team on how it works instead of what if they know more about your profit-sharing plan than you do? Yeah. Those can be very demotivating when what you're really trying to do is motivate your staff. Yeah, great. Yeah, so I think another really important thing which you alluded to right before Steve's question was the idea of onboarding and training people into this program rather than just sort of assuming they'll pick it up. And I think 
this gets back to all the stuff about training that you and I have both been pushing for years and years, but very seldom does a company take the time when they onboard a new employee to really help them understand the dollars and cents. They just kind of hope they pick it up out there on the job site. Yeah, well, that, we, we know that's not happening, right? Unfortunately, the, even 85% of people who claim to be you know, remodeling business owners don't right. know how all this financial stuff works. So you right. can't have a, in my opinion, you just can't have a successful profit-sharing plan if you don't know how profits are generated. For sure. So one of the things that I, that's been challenging me for, for many years is the idea of an end of an end of, or, or a one lump sum uh, profit sharing versus three months, six months, that kind of thing. What are your thoughts on the frequency of paying out the bonus, not the bonus, the profit sharing to employees? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So you remember now, part of the purpose of doing this is to motivate the team, right? So right. what I suggest is, let's see if we can thumbnail this, right? Is first off, you have to decide what's the goal. So let's just say that the team needs to generate $500,000 of gross profit. Right. So whatever margin that's at, let's just say it's a 40 margin, right? Well, let's make it a 33. So okay. 500,000 of gross profit means that we've got to do a million five at a 33 margin to generate 500,000 of gross profit. Yep. Then you establish how much gross profit should be earned each quarter. And you want okay. to be realistic about that because weather considerations, holiday considerations, people's vacation schedules are going to mess that up. So you want a plan that's actually achievable for your team. So you can kind of look back at your previous volume and see, you know, where are the spikes and where are the uh, walls. Then what I would suggest is, is you decide of the $500,000 of gross profit, what amount of dollars is going to be shared in profit sharing. Okay. So whatever that number is going to be, let's just say it's $50,000, which is probably a lot, but let's just say it is. So my thought would be then is each quarter now there's a goal for how many dollars the gross profit need to be earned. If they earn it, then they get whatever the percentage is of the gross profit that's being shared in profit share. Okay. But to protect the company and maintain motivation, each quarter we assess how we're doing using percentage completion adjustments so that even jobs that are underway are included in the profit sharing. And if there's been profit sharing dollars earned, 50% of it is given out each quarter. And the other 50% is reserved until the end of the year. Part of the reason being is if we tank in the second quarter, we can't ask for some of the profit sharing back for the great first quarter. Right. We want to keep people motivated. So another thing that you could consider, right? Because again, this is just kind of a thumbnail of how this would work. Imagine that the only way you get that other half, right? That reserved 50% of the profit sharing is if you're still in employment with the company at the end of the year, when the books get audited, well, then you get your other 50%. But if you leave at any time during the year, you forfeit that money. Right. And you have to put together a plan and document it so everybody is treated fairly. And you it's not like you're introducing rules to the baseball game after the game started. You've got to think through the rules before it starts. Otherwise, your employees are going to lose motivation if they think you're changing the game. Okay. So question just came into my head. You have um, – 
a lead carpenter or a project manager that is making $35 an hour. You have a helper uh, slash carpenter that's making $25 an hour, and you have one that's making a, a true helper helper that's making 15 bucks an hour. Do they get the same amount of the profit sharing, or is it distributed in your mind based on their income? Uh, my suggestion is everybody gets an equal share because everybody has an equal responsibility to protect the okay. profit sharing. So okay. not only do I want the lead carpenter getting after the floor sweeper for, for you know, for being a sluggo, but I want the floor sweeper to get after the lead carpenter for not planning ahead that it's going to rain on Thursday. So what are we all going to be doing to be productive on Thursday in the rain? Somebody's got to think of that. And I think the lead carpenter should thank the guy for bringing that up, not be upset that he's sure. up. That's the, again, part of the motivation the right plan can create is the employee's are motivated to help each other with the same common goal. Okay, and going along with that, are, are we saying that the owner of the company, the estimator, another salesperson, uh, all of these people, the office manager, they're all participating in this bonus profit or this profit sharing? That's what I've seen some of my clients do, Tim. Most people are using a different plan for the overhead staff. Okay. Like people are paid by commission. Right, right. Estimating and you're the salesperson too. You better make sure you get it right because you're being paid by commission. Right. So I have seen companies do uh, the whole team, but most of what we're talking about right now, I'm referring to uh, field staff. Okay, terrific. This has been absolutely incredible. I want to shift gears a little bit and get to a very specific question that a listener sent in. And I thought, Sean, you'd be one of the people who might be able to answer this for us. And, and that was the idea of paying properly in your market. And uh, the question seemed to, to focus around the idea that I want to be fair. I want to pay people properly, but I don't live in a big city uh, where all the studies are done. I mean, you can, you know, go to a magazine and find out like how much are they getting paid in New York city versus San Francisco versus Boston, but Marshall, Indiana, there isn't any statistics for that. So I'm just kind of wondering if you have some thoughts about how do you find out or how do you accurately or, um, I don't know, uh, competitively pay for your employees and, and not if you're not, especially if you're not in one of these major cities. Yeah, so excellent question, Tim, including I think it parallels great with the whole profit sharing. Sure, right? sure. First, you have to pay them adequately and correctly. Then you share the profits. Right, right. right. So I think you also, you, you brought the right word into your introduction. It's a competition. So <laughs> you're not only in competition with the other remodelers maybe that are in your marketplace. You're in competition with the other employers who are offering jobs in the marketplace. Right, right. So say, for instance, um, if, if you're – if you're if you've got another industry or two within the marketplace, what are they paying to attract and keep good health? What are the benefits they're offering that, that not only attract and keep good health, but actually then help that person have a good home family life, be able to go home and be rested and come back and be give it all when they go to work. Right. So what is a combination of salary and benefits that others in the marketplace are offering? Now I'm talking about legitimate businesses here. 
Right. I'm not talking about people paying under the table and 1099ers. And, you know, if you think of your employees as if I can pay them as cheaply as possible, I can make as much money as possible. I'm thinking we need to think of employees as without employees, the business just won't make money. So right. what kind of employees do we want to have? What, what kind of, uh, how conscientious do we want them to be when we're not looking at them? So I think that to attract and, and, and get those people, you're in competition. So not only look at what are other professional legitimate businesses paying around you, what premium might you have to offer so that they're going to come into your business Instead of to that factory building where they're going to be warm every day <laughs> and they don't have to worry if it's raining outside, right? And they're not going to be dirty and freezing cold when they get home. So if, if those are realities to trying to find staff, you've got to provide a premium to motivate them to do it. Like what parent says, oh, you should become a remodeling carpenter so you can freeze your butt off in the winter <laughs> and not have any paid vacations at all. Right. Isn't that great? Right. I think I think it's time for our industry to realize this and look at it that we can't we're having a difficult time staffing our industry. Right. It's only going to get worse unless we figure out a way and we all can charge enough to pay enough to get the right people. So you brought up something about, you know, no, no vacations. It's been my feeling, at least recently, that time off might be one of the cheapest things you could offer people. Paid time off might be the, one of the cheapest things you can offer people that might be a huge incentive uh, for all of us. And, and we, we talk about the millennials, but you know what? I like time off, too. I, I, and I'm 62 years old. I don't need to be 25 and want to enjoy life. And so is, is that the way you kind of look at it, too, or am I missing something? Yes, exactly, Tim. You know, I've been... Um, I've been uh, doing continuing education classes here in Massachusetts for people that have to renew their licenses. So right. one of the topics we do is labor costs, labor burden costs. And you, you, you said it already, Tim, it doesn't cost that much to give your employee a week's vacation. Right. You take the annual cost of an employee divided by the number of productive hours. That's how much you need to charge per hour before you make any money just to break even on putting that person in the field. If you change that number from, let's just say, you know, maybe they get paid for 2,080 hours, but they're only billable for maybe, I don't know, 1,950 hours. Yeah. So if you give them a 40 hour vacation, five days, you know, vacation. Now really what you're doing, instead of dividing the annual cost by 1,950 hours, you're dividing it by 1,910 hours. And I'm telling you right now, the hourly difference isn't much. <laughs> right. Right. So depending on what you're paying them, it might be less than a buck. And if you can't tell me you can't sell your labor for an extra dollar an hour so your <laughs> employees can get a vacation, I, I think maybe either you don't know what you're doing or you're looking at it wrong. Yeah. I think in general, we look at it wrong, although I do know a lot of people do uh, offer uh, paid vacation. So another aspect of this question that came in was – how do we correctly kind of accumulate or, I don't know, associate hourly versus all the benefits that we're willing to pay for? And, and I don't know, you've kind of answered this a little bit, but I want to just make sure my, my listener's question was answered fully. But I think they were trying to see, like, where do I put the weight? Do I put the weight on hourly 
and and cut back on benefits or do I really go all out with the benefits and and maybe not quite as much on the hourly? Yeah, so that's a good question. So here's how I look at it is, well, the answer to that's going to depend on the demographic and psychographic of employee you're trying to attract, right? So okay. let's just say, how about this? You know what I would be looking for nowadays? It doesn't mean everybody would be looking for this, but I'm looking for a guy that's already maybe 30, 35 years old. He's got two kids or at least one of <laughs> on the way. Yeah. He's got a mortgage with a house that he has to pay and a wife who wants to stay home and maybe only work part-time. Okay. That guy needs health insurance. Right. If you can afford to give him a full family health plan, do you think his wife would ever let him leave the job? <laughs> right? But that's a certain psychographic a guy that wants that's already building a family and needs right. health insurance for the kids and wants his wife to stay home. And he's going to show up at work every day. That's different than the guy that lives in his mother's basement and only needs beer money. <laughs> and his mother is still paying for his health insurance until he's 26. Yep. Right? So you got to kind of think about who are you trying to attract before you assemble your package? Yeah, that's a, that's really, really good advice because I, I don't think we, in general, remodelers, and I'm pretty sure I didn't think about it, it you know, didn't we don't think about that kind of thing. We think about, hey, I need somebody. <laughs> and, yeah. and we're not thinking about who we want to have in our business. Any other thoughts on that, Sean? Well, I think maybe the point then that you just made me, you know, realize, Tim, is that if we're in competition trying to find staff in an industry where there isn't enough staff, we got to get out of the box and thinking about right. how we pick and, and attract our employees. So as much as we, you know, always assumed we had to market to get jobs, maybe what right. we've got to think about is, We've got a market to attract employees. And if we're yeah. going to market, what is it we're offering before we do the marketing? Yeah, definitely. Is it something that they even want. So, Sean, we're going to have to, I think I could go on for another hour or two, but we're going to have to cut this off. This has been so good for me. And as we were chatting before we started on the show, uh, every time I do one of these shows, I learn something. And then I get to share it with other people. And, and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, you taking some time and, and sharing some fabulous information with us uh, today. You're quite welcome, Tim. You know, as uh, I've known you for years, Tim. It's got to be, what, going back 25 years? Or oh, something. at least, yeah. Yeah, so we're getting to be the old guys that we used to go sit in on and listen to. <laughs> so we look at it. If you invite me back again so I get to share more of this wisdom that maybe I've accumulated over that time, sometimes through the school of, uh, I call it the Lumberyard School of Hard Knocks. Yeah. I'm happy to do that because, you know what, I've gotten a lot of benefit out of this industry. And sure. Giving back in ways like this. You know, invite me, man. I'll be psyched to try to help some more. We'll be sure and do it. Very good. Thanks, Tim. I really appreciate it. All Thanks right. for your help, Steve. Thank you, Sean. Take care. You too, guys. Thanks. Tim, another fantastic episode. <laughs> I love when Sean stops by. I mean, he's just so full of information and fantastic information. I, I enjoyed that thoroughly. Lots of good stuff. Fantastic information. There's just a couple of things that uh, really popped out to me that some of which I've been trying to get across to people, but build profit sharing as a team exercise, not just one person. Um, it helps motivate, you know, per the team, not uh, per the job. 
I really love this idea of building it into the overhead. I got to sit down and do a little bit of math and figure out like, how, to, how does that really work? And, and kind of uh, figure it out because that's something I'll definitely share uh, with some other people. But that was a uh, 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 great, such great information. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that what he, what Sean helps you do is to just, again, think outside the box. He's got a yeah. he provides a lot of data that you can look at within your company <laughs> and then, you know, just see what's right for you and make it unique to your company. So once again, we want to thank Sean McCadden for joining us today. And we always want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at The Tim Fowler Show, we're working really, really hard. To eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.